all hail the monolith. Today I'm talking about 2001 A Space Odyssey and how it became a classic. This is Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. movie friends welcome to scott's self-indulgent movie podcast i am scott and today i'm doing another edition of why is x movie a classic and we're going into 2001 a space odyssey which is a still a contentious movie to this day and that what i dug into and found was that it's always been contentious which i found kind of fascinating so without further ado let's get started 2001 A Space Odyssey is not meant for a modern audience. It's a high-concept sci-fi film with little to no plot that shifts drastically in tone, time, and visual style, while indirectly reflecting on the evolution of human technology and our relationship with the universe. By the same token, it's also a genre-redefining epic that, with visuals that have aged spectacularly well, and some of the most memorable moments ever put to screen. So today we're going to dig into what made 2001 stand out in its era, why it has survived, and why it doesn't match modern sensibilities. Beginning with Prehistoric Man, 2001 drifts through important moments and discoveries in human history, from the creation of crude tools to space travel, and ultimately coming face-to-face with the infinite. So what was the initial reaction? The initial reaction to 2001 was, as it is today, mercurial and hard to pin down. Critically, it was seemingly split down the middle. Roger Ebert hailed it as a masterpiece and said it succeeds magnificently on a cosmic scale. Meanwhile, others like the infamous Pauline Kael and Stanley Kaufman called it monumentally unimaginative or so dull it even dulls our interest in the technical ingenuity. The visuals earned universal praise, but the film's lack of dialogue and endings seemed to rub a lot of people the wrong way. The film ultimately earned four Oscar nominations and won one for visual effects, but some of the nominations, like Best Screenplay, were derided at the time. Likewise, the film took years and multiple releases to become profitable. Despite a solid original run of around $40 million, the film was technically still under red thanks to the film's $10 million budget, and it only became officially became a financial success after a re-release in 1971. However, with time and multiple re-releases and remasters, 2001 is now the highest grossing movie of 1968, with some estimates of its worldwide gross going as high as $190 million. There was also a sharp divide between critics and audiences. While many critics viewed the film as a pessimistic reflection, audiences found hope in its ambiguous ending. So if you're wondering if it's just you, it isn't. This movie has been divisive since its release. But why do some people like it so much? So let's start with the basics. 2001 is a visual masterpiece. That's undeniable. While you can argue about the ideas the movie tackles, there are too many stunning visual moments that hold up into this day. Far beyond the era of CGI and extensive green screen usage, 2001 was giving audiences the widescreen view of space, spacewalks, and human ingenuity with bombast. The score doesn't hurt either with carefully selected classical pieces that makes a run around a spaceship feel like a beautiful and inevitable waltz, or discovery of a bone tool feel like a major turning point. And the film can't possibly be discussed without the terrifying AI benchmark of HAL. If you've ever seen a movie where AI decided that humans are the real enemy or went beyond its intended capacity, 
how refusing orders or reading lips, lips is bone-chilling stuff, and everything from Alien to iRobot have addressed this. But to be fair, not every movie with stunning visuals becomes a classic, so what pushed 2001 over the edge? Let's get into the wild cards. As far as I can tell, A Space Odyssey has, or had, two big elements in its corner. The first is in its place within the sci-fi genre. Despite being at the core of cinema's origins, see George Méliès' A Trip to the Moon, the science fiction genre was mostly considered low-brow, kitschy, or B-movie-level entertainment. Despite an explosion in the genre via novels and comics, there were few sci-fi films that tackled big ideas or got the budget that Kubrick did for 2001. Either you were making Flash Gordon serials or crowd-pleasing monster movies like The War of the Worlds and Invasion of the Body Snatchers, or on-the-nose moralizing movies like The Day the Earth Stood Still. The apocalyptic dread of the Cold War or the upbeat adventure film owned sci-fi. But once 2001 came out, and combined with Planet of the Apes, science fiction proved it could be pensive, deliver messages, wow audiences with visual spectacle, and still be profitable. It's how a movie world that seemed allergic to sci-fi even a decade ago would greenlight arguably the most popular movies of all time in the early 70s, based on a series of Flash Gordon serials with equal if not bigger levels of visual spectacle. Star Wars. The other wildcard is Stanley Kubrick. Fair or not, movies with famous directors get more attention and analysis than standalone films, especially from this era. In many ways, Kubrick's career began and evolved with film analysis and critique as a whole, which meant unlike directors past, every film in Kubrick's filmography was viewed as part of a larger whole, even when it first came out. And a lot of reviews, good or bad, reference Dr. Strangelove as Spartacus and cite individual scenes and themes as artistic fascinations. And Kubrick made enough distinctive films after 2001 and before to keep the conversation going to this day. 2001 can be interpreted through wonder, horror, or detachment, depending on how you interpret Kubrick's work. Some weirdos even use this film and The Shining as proof that Kubrick faked the moon landing. The connections and conversations are endless. So let's get into the pitfalls. It's not surprising that 2001 doesn't work well with modern moviegoers. Nowadays, big-budget science fiction is meant to deliver big action or actively reflect on the movie's themes via dialogue. Even a lower-budget affair like Annihilation openly discusses its ideas between its main characters while dealing with a heady sci-fi concept. 2001, on the other hand, is all told visually and relies on the visuals and the music to sell the audience on the story and tell them what to feel, which is a heavy lift for such a long time in, with an episodic story. It's hard to get invested in a particular moment when you don't have any idea what the next turn will be or what the general idea is supposed to be. Many critics were so convinced that the end of the movie was apocalyptic that Kubrick himself had to explain the, the book the film is based on ends on a positive note. This is exacerbated by Kubrick's own penchant for sterile or cold visuals in his films. Kubrick is very good at conveying two kinds of visuals, matter-of-fact representations and visuals meant to irk your nerves. What he's not great at, at least through most of his career, is splendor and joy. Take the opening sequence with our ape-like ancestors. It opens with one group being driven away before the monolith seemingly drives them to discover tools that they use to reclaim their territory. And even if this is meant to be a giant step for progress, I've always viewed this as a horror scene. 
The music combined with the slow motion, smashing like smashing feels like the music is saying this is what technology has done to us or this is who we are. Is it iconic? Absolutely. But the lack of warmth means the movie can never match the novel's humanist message, especially when you see how much stronger the visual storytelling is once Kubrick is tackling Hal. And as much as I'd like to view every movie on an island, it's impossible to remove Kubrick and his catalog from this film. Most of his work has dealt with the darkest parts of humanity, including nuclear annihilation, society gone wrong, war, and the fracturing of the human psyche. So it is very easy to come to view this as another long-form journey into the abyss, pushing forward until we come face-to-face -face with creation, only to start the cycle over again. 2001 A Space Odyssey will always have a place in film history thank to, thanks to its visuals and the experience many people got watching it. But if there's one thing that sci-fi of the future got right or learned from this movie, it's to make your message, whether it's bleak or optimistic, impossible to ignore. This has been Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie World, for the latest reviews, discussions, and more. See you next time, everybody, and stay safe.